Hi, everyone. It's David Chen. Welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. Today, we're going to talk about the Joe Rogan situation. A lot going on over in the podcasting world with Joe Rogan, one of the most listened to podcasters in the world. And in order to have a discussion about it, I wanted to talk with somebody who is incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly articulate about this topic and the topic of the internet in general. So joining me today, he is a freelance tech writer and the author of the Garbage Day newsletter, Ryan Broderick. Welcome back to Culturally Relevant. How's it going today, Ryan? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about my favorite little man, Joe Rogan. (laughs) Okay, so I want to try and summarize what's happened because we are recording this on Tuesday, February 8th, and developments seem to be occurring on an almost daily basis. So by the time you are listening to this, it's very possible this will be outdated, but uh, I'm going to try to summarize to the best of my ability what has happened. And I want you to kind of Check me, Ryan. T- tell me if I, if I captured all the essential facts. Okay, so here okay. we go. Uh, Spotify previously has signed a multi-year deal with Joe Rogan to be the exclusive distributor of his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, in a deal that was estimated to be worth over $100 million. So they have paid over $100 million for Joe Rogan to make podcasts on their platform. There are several reasons for this, but one of them is that Spotify wants to be uh, the YouTube of podcasts. They want to be basically the place you go to listen to podcasts, the number one place. And therefore, uh, Spotify wants to be the place that sells ads on all these podcasts that are on their platform. Uh, they want their ad tech to be the thing uh, that helps to generate a lot of revenue and gets them into the next decade um, so that uh, they can move beyond just music. On December 31st, 2021, the Joe Rogan Experience published episode 1757, featuring Dr. Robert Malone. Shortly afterwards, 270 health experts describing themselves as a coalition of scientists, medical professors, and science communicators published an open letter uh, denouncing the Joe Rogan Experience and kind of uh, imploring Spotify to reconsider its misinformation policy. Here's an excerpt from the letter, quote, Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe Rogan has repeatedly spread misleading and false claims on his podcast, provoking distrust in science and medicine. He has discouraged vaccination in young people and children, incorrectly claimed that mRNA vaccines are gene therapy, promoted off-label use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19, and spread a number of unsubstantiated conspiracy theories. In episode 1757, Rogan hosted Dr. Robert Malone, who was suspended from Twitter for spreading misinformation about COVID-19. Malone used the JRE platform to further promote numerous baseless claims, including several falsehoods about COVID-19 vaccines and an unfounded theory that societal leaders have hypnotized the public. Many of these statements have already been discredited. Anyway, end quote. I'll I'll stop right there, but it goes on. Uh, So that happened uh, in January. And a week and a half ago, Neil Young, Nils Lofgren, and Joni Mitchell pulled their music off of Spotify, uh, citing their support of not wanting to be part of spreading misinformation about vaccines. Um, Spotify then clarified its policy around misinformation, but did so in such a way that basically Joe Rogan would almost never violate it. Uh, They said that, hey, uh, you cannot on Spotify's platform assert that AIDS, COVID-19, cancer, or other serious life-threatening diseases are a hoax or not real. Well, Joe Rogan has never said COVID-19 is a hoax. Um, But he's doing other things that are potentially dangerous to the public. Then, this past week, a bunch of clips from Joe Rogan's past went viral. Clips of him repeatedly saying the N-word, being sexist, 
uh, calling a movie theater filled with black people, quote unquote, Planet of the Apes. Spotify removed at least 113 episodes of the Joe Rogan experience from its platform, reportedly at Rogan's behest. Rogan then issued an apology video. And in another statement that the president of Spotify, you know, had to issue explaining what was going on, he said internally, uh, and this was later shared publicly, quote, while I strongly condemn what Joe has said, and I agree with his decision to remove past episodes from our platform, I realize some will want more. And I want to make one point very clear. I do not believe that silencing Joe is the answer. We should have clear lines around content and take action when they are crossed. But canceling voices is a slippery slope. Looking at the issue more broadly, it's critical thinking and open debate that powers real and necessary progress. Another criticism I hear uh, is that it's not just about the Joe Rogan experience on Spotify. It comes down to our direct relationship with him. In last week's town hall, I outlined to you that we are not the publisher of GRE, but perception due to our exclusive license implies otherwise. So I've been wrestling with how this perception scores with our values, end quote. Okay. Sorry, Ryan, I invite you on the podcast only to go on a four-minute long monologue. I'll pause there and ask you, does that capture most of what happened in the last couple months? Yeah, you got it. Um, <laughs> it's it's all it's all honestly very dumb. I'm <laughs> It's, but it's dumb in like a, to be specific. It's dumb not because of the the issues that people are upset about. Those are real and those are serious. But it's dumb in the sense that Joe Rogan is dumb. Everything that Joe Rogan says and does is dumb. But then also Spotify and their insistence that they are not Joe Rogan's publisher is also dumb. And so what makes this so, like so complicated and confusing is that like no one involved is operating in not even bad faith. They're just not operating in like any logical way that makes sense. So you have like this bizarre thing where Joe Rogan only exists on Spotify and yet Spotify says they have no control over Joe Rogan. And it's just, it's dizzying and it's annoying. And ultimately it's something that's only happening because we allow companies like Spotify to pretend like they're not publishers. Like, like not even Fox News gets away with this stuff. Like Fox News isn't going like, oh, sorry, we can't control what Tucker Carlson says. It's like, yeah, right. they absolutely can. <laughs> like he, he yes. works for he works for Fox News. Right. I I think you summed it up extremely well as usual, which is that it just feels like you know, the the head of Spotify is saying black is white, up is down, you know, like we're not the publisher. We have an exclusive license with him, but we are not the publisher. And may, I think what he's trying to say, right, is that like they don't control the content of the Joe Rogan experience. Or rather, the deal terms that they signed with Joe Rogan don't allow them to control it. But to anyone looking on the outside, they do, right? Because they they gave him the money to uh, to be on their platform. And so it just, it just doesn't make sense on a very basic level. The smell test doesn't make sense that they're claiming they're not the publisher. Right. I think one of the most discouraging aspects of this, Ryan, is that, um, there, there is no real ending to this story that ends with Joe Rogan misinformation getting shut down. Right. Like if, Spotify releases him from his contract, his reach will likely increase because he'll be no longer exclusive to Spotify, right? Um, and so that, that's one thing that's been profoundly depressing about this is like, no matter what happens, Joe Rogan is going to win out of this. What, what do you think of that? Do you agree with that? To a degree. I think like Joe, like Joe Rogan had a chance last week to be like, I stand by everything I've ever said on my show. 
And Joe Rogan had a second chance to be like, I still think it's totally fine for me to say the N-word. But he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He kind of did like a half apology last week, and then he did like the closest I think we're probably going to get to a full-on apology over the weekend. And I think there is definitely a version of this that ends with Joe Rogan having less of like a freewheeling vibe than he did before. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I also think that this, it's fair to say that this incident has redefined the Joe Rogan show as something more centrist and less chaotic and anarchic than it was. So for people who want Joe Rogan to have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, some kind of uh, accountability, that's probably as close as we're going to get, but that's also honestly more than I thought would happen, which is mm. great. I, I think that's a great point, right? Which is basically that Rogan could have responded in a very different way, right? Like he could have responded like, I get to say whatever I want, like F you got, you know, like, but he has thus far seemed to want to toe the line when it comes to the Spotify relationship. I um, think so. As far as I can I, tell, right? I think the, so I believe, so, you know, obviously I am not partial to what these two parties signed, but I'm going to guess if, if if I could take a very educated guess, here's what I think is happening. I think Spotify is trying very hard to make it seem like they made a good decision in signing a $100 million exclusivity contract with a podcast they have no editorial control over. So they are trying to make it seem like it is some sort of brave stand for free speech when in actuality, the whoever signed it just shouldn't have a job anymore. Like, could you imagine paying $100 million for something you have no say in? That's In what world is that good business? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to do that. Meanwhile, Joe Rogan, I think, ha- was very defiant And like very, very confident up until the montage of him saying the N-word, because I'm going to guess that if Spotify made him sign anything that could invalidate his his contract, it was probably something to do with hate speech. So Mm. I'm going to guess that these two parties have now found themselves in this situation where Spotify doesn't want to cave publicly and admit that they made a miserable licensing deal. And I think Joe Rogan wants to play ball because he has absolutely definitely invalidated his contract to some degree because mm. i don't think there, i don't no matter how bad the licensing agreement was i don't think i don't think anyone is going to sign that without having some kind of like morality clause or something in there so i'm thinking that these two places but wouldn't are such stuck. a clause only cover new episodes you know i don't know uh, i i think it's very plausible what you're saying but also like i feel like uh, Here's the thing that's so baffling about this stuff, Ryan. You know, and this happened with the Mike Richards situation at Jeopardy too. It is absolutely bizarre to me that companies spend millions and millions of dollars to sign deals with Joe Rogan to hire Mike Richards to host Jeopardy, but they don't want to spend twenty thousand dollars to hire an intern to listen to all these episodes. You know, uh, of a podcast that could help to sink this person. Uh, yeah. I just don't understand. It feels like the best investment you could possibly make to prevent something like this from happening. You know? Well, what, so yeah, I, I, a lot of people have brought up section 230 in all of this, which is the, uh, it, it's a, it's essentially like the, the clause that allows a lot of platforms to get away without moderating their content properly. Yeah. And most platforms like Spotify, the way they sort of understand section 230 is a, if we don't know about it, we can't do anything about it, you know? <laughs> right. So, like, as long as no one tells us that someone is using our platform to upload illegal material 
we don't know about it. And then if we do get told about it, we, we move on it. Okay. So there's an entire culture of digital platforms that operate like that. And it seems to, I think, be bleeding over into other decisions of theirs. So I'm sure Spotify figured, oh, actually, I bet, I bet it's better we don't know anything about this show. <laughs> right. Because then we can't yeah. say that we 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 knew about it. And then there's well, the other. Pr- I think it's yeah. different when it's YouTube, right? Because YouTube, you know, a, a thousand hours are uploaded every minute. But with Spotify, if you're spe- and and most of it is uploaded for quote unquote free. But if you're spending a hundred million dollars, I don't know. I guess I just feel like it's a good investment. Uh, but I'm not a Swedish billionaire, too. You know, that's probably why. Well, uh, yeah, you're, but you're probably I, right about it. You know? I do also think that there's like a whole dimension here to this where, like. <sighs> So tech companies, they, I was actually, I'm working on this like long history of the internet for this project I'm doing. And like, there was like this thing that happened around the Arab spring at the beginning of like the 2010s, where all these tech companies adopted this idea that like their platforms are inherently liberal spaces that spread democracy and free speech and American values. And that's kind of cooked into the way Silicon Valley thinks about itself. Mm-hmm. The, the other problem though, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say that this started around 2016. Um, they discovered that they had the data tools to figure out exactly how profitable hate, racism, and intolerance are. And so now they're stuck in this like really bizarre territory where they know that they have to pretend to be bastions of, you know, liberal expression, but they also know that they can make more money creating hateful, violent content for people to get angry about. And mm. the Joe Rogan Spotify thing is exactly this dichotomy. It's like we are a liberal, censorship-free, um, you know, tech platform, but also we do know that Joe Rogan is more profitable than crooked media's pod save america or whatever right right uh but i i think to your original point about uh, the contract signed between them whatever the details were whether it had a hate speech clause or whatever like it does seem that they are throwing in their lot with each other right like they are like we're they're they're not going to try to split they're they're betting on each other both spotify and rogan are kind of like in this for good, it seems, at least until the next horrific viral tape of Joe Rogan saying dumb shit goes, you know, uh, spreads around the internet. Um, my question for you is, uh, I've heard a lot of people saying that th- this whole enterprise has been very bad for Spotify, Spotify's re- reputation. Uh, it's dangerous to predict things in our society in general, but I guess I'm curious, like, do you think it's going to be bad for Spotify's reputation at all? Like, uh, do we think we're going to see any impact to their bottom line, to their relationship with creators or anything of that sort? Well, yeah. I mean, their stock price has dropped, I think, like 25% in the last month. Uh, they've lost a lot of big name artists and more artists are sort of organizing collectively about it. They, they're they not in a good, strong place. Do I think they can come back? Sure. Uh, I, I, I interviewed a... Um, and, and a musician and an activist last year named Evan Greer. And she made this really great point, which is that Spotify is an emotional surveillance platform. They have data on some of the most intimate things about us, which is the music we listen to. And every year around New Year's, they release their cute little product, which is here is all of the very personal data we know about you and let us use it to manipulate you, right? So do I think Spotify can bounce back? Absolutely. 
Spotify also has like a massive market share and, you know, you can move to Amazon music or title or wherever it is. But I mean, I am a Spotify subscriber. I think Spotify is a fairly evil company, but I also think that my Spotify subscription is one of the best ones I have (laughs) because Mm. I listen to music all day long. And I really actually like their platform for podcasts, especially. So it sucks, you know. I don't. I don't see people leaving the platform in droves over this at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it sounds like you're saying reputation with artists not doing great, uh, but as a user, it's not going to impact you really. Like most users probably don't care about any of the, what we're talking about right now, right? Well, to pivot, I mean, because okay, so. Other than MySpace, we really don't have like a good example in our heads when we think about like a platform of this size failing. Mm-hmm. Although we now kind of do thanks to Facebook. So Facebook is in the process of dying in front of us right now. Could they turn the <laughs> could they turn the tide? Could Facebook become the company that defines the next 10 years? Possible. Anything's possible. But right now, in their current form, if they don't do anything drastic, we are watching a company die. It's awesome. And I'm almost sexually excited by how great it is to watch. Like, I, And I just I, want to call out, Ryan Broderick wrote an awesome piece at Garbage Day about Facebook you know, being in the beginning of a long, slow decline. It's an electrifying piece of writing. I'd strongly recommend it. I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, anyway, continue, Ryan. Yeah, so I have an almost like erotic appreciation of of how bad Facebook is failing in public right now. It's awesome. It's the best. I, I when I die, like this will be my dreamscape that I go live in forever. Anyways, so Facebook <laughs> this is, is your San Junipero, basically. Yeah, this is this is this is my uh, uh, that Robin Williams <laughs> film where you like live in a painting forever and eternity yes, in heaven. Uh, what dreams uh, what, may come. This exactly. Is your what dreams may come. This yeah. is my what dreams may come moment. So it, it's great. <laughs> and what we're seeing it's answering the question of like, how does a platform the size of something like Facebook or Spotify fail? And what we're, the answer seems to be that you need regulatory pressure around antitrust laws, which means that they can't acquire more new good ideas. Okay. Check. Then you also need a aging user base without any ability to get younger users in check for Facebook. And then you also need a competitor that is doing what they're doing better and faster. And all three of those things are actually not true for Spotify. And nor do I see any indication that they're coming over the horizon line. I don't see a music platform that's doing what Spotify is doing better. TikTok has beaten Spotify at one thing, which is that five years ago, Spotify playlists were what was deciding what was popular in music. Uh, I always point to rap caviar as sort of like the moment where the Spotify playlist effect defined culture. It was the most powerful place for the music industry. That is no longer true now that it's trending audio on TikTok. So TikTok has beaten them there. Other than that, there's really nothing that's coming for Spotify's lunch. There's And there's nothing that's stopping them from acquiring more stuff. So like... I just I don't see the existential threat for Spotify until those things happen, and I, I don't know how far away we are. I, I want to share a couple of thoughts on. Well, first of all, Apple Music. Curious what your opinion on that is. It it doesn't seem to be a Spotify killer, you know. Um, do you? That's they're arguably a platform that has a lot of power, a lot of uh, money, and can replicate many of the qualities uh, of Spotify, um, but. I don't know that the other characteristics of what you uh, uh, illuminated were were fulfilled. What do you think of like an Apple Music? I 
I don't. <laughs> I just don't see Apple Music. I don't see anything really. I mean, I I had a bunch of users like send me messages after I started writing about this stuff, being like, "Well, I use Apple Music, or I use Amazon Music, or I use Tidal," and like all of those services are clunky, and they're just like not really. I mean, Apple. The if you want to talk about like like a like a tech company screwing up in this space, Apple had a monopoly on how podcasts worked. I don't know if your users know this, but 10 years ago, there was one man who controlled the front page of the iTunes podcast section. Yes. And you had to personally ask him to feature your podcast. And if he did, your podcast would become the most listened to podcast in that particular genre. But if you didn't, you would basically never get discovered in any capacity. I, I, I know that man. We, we are, uh, I consider him an online friend. So yes. Uh, I, I knew about this, and that is no longer true, because because <laughs> because Apple just decided they didn't care about having a, a podcast platform that worked, and now most people seem to use some version of like Pocket or Overcast or whatever. But I just don't see the other audio platforms being able to pull off what Spotify has pulled off. Even though, like, you can listen to music on TikTok, you can listen to music on YouTube, you can listen to music on Apple Music, you can do all these things elsewhere. There's really not a one-stop shop like Spotify. Not that I can see. I mean, I, I admit I don't have a full view of the entire space here, but I, I don't see another place that's doing it like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you that I am not a fan of Spotify. Um, I, I love using the app. I think the app is a great experience. And I think the play, like playlists specifically are just like, you can't beat like how Spotify has implemented playlists, you know? Great example. I went, I wanted to find the, the soundtrack to Peacemaker, the HBO Max original series. And I searched for Peacemaker on Spotify and like the top result is a playlist of all the songs on Peacemaker. Tried the same thing on Apple Music. It was a complete disaster, what results I got. And so I think Spotify definitely has done a lot to like make sort of music accessible. And as you said, kind of a way for people to express themselves. But there's so many things that Spotify does that I'm not a fan of. Their land grab for podcasts and things like the Joe, Joe Rogan experience is against the open web nature of podcasting. Uh, it is trying to make podcasts into a closed system. Uh, and that is evidenced by the fact that many of the podcasts they've acquired are now exclusive. So you can't listen to them in other podcast apps anymore. Uh, and one of the great things I loved about podcasting was that it was an open standard. Um, so that sucks. They obviously don't pay their musicians very well because everyone complains about it all the time and people could remove their music from Spotify without experiencing that many negative harms, that, that much negative effect to their bottom line. Uh, and then on top of all those things, they gave $100 million to Joe Rogan. So I, I guess for me, Ryan, I feel like I've reached the end of my time with Spotify um, because of all those things. They, they just like have made these decisions that I'm not a fan of. Um, but it sounds like for you, you've not reached that point, right? Or that you, this is not a trade-off you've decided to make. No, I mean, I, I unfortunately, my day every day at work starts with <laughs> going to Spotify, opening the app, pressing play on either the release radar playlist that they generate for me or the discover weekly playlist they generate for me. 
it is a place where I've discovered some of my favorite bands and it is like the thing that I'm 32. It has kept my love of music going in a way that where for a lot of people, I think in their thirties, it starts to die out where I'm like, I'm like actively looking at and discovering new bands. I, I will say like the algorithm for that is getting worse. It seems like, yes. And yes. I think there will be a moment where like, I no longer, in fact, I do know that I'm le- I'm discovering more new music via the front page of my YouTube recommendations now, which is mm-hmm. an interesting shift. But for now, like if I'm like, here's the issue. Like if I'm going to go, if there's ever a world where I, I leave the house for work again, <laughs> which is starting to happen, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Spotify, I'm going to load up podcasts and albums on Spotify. If I'm going to get on a plane, if I'm going to get in a car. And so until another app can offer the the passive listening and then like the portability that Spotify can, like I, I hated Spotify when it first started. I was a Groove Shark guy. I loved Groove Shark. <laughs> Groove Shark was great. It was great. It's, it great was product. great. If nobody knows what I'm talking about, Groove Shark was a Spotify like app, but it allowed you to upload your own music, not just for yourself, but for other people, which meant it, it was sort of like a hybrid between something like LimeWire or Kaza. And Spotify. It was like this incredible middle stage music platform that just, I mean, obviously got sued into oblivion by by record labels. But it sounds like Spotify has been like a really critical part of uh, your just daily life and and shaping your relationship with the music and uh, and th- and that's really important as is very understandable. So yeah, but I but I'm also like you know I'm I'm a I'm a tech critic. I'm a tech writer. I can say that like, it's an evil company populated by complete (laughs) morons. Like, and there will probably (laughs) like when it stops doing the thing that I want it to do, like Facebook a couple of years ago, I'll just never go back one day. And like, that's just true of how the internet works. Like there's for every app or every platform, there will be a day where you just leave that app and you, you just never come back and you don't think about it again. There will be a day when it is the last day you're using Spotify. Most likely. Oh, Most for likely. sure. In our lifetimes, absolutely. I mean, I I used to be like a hardcore BitTorrent, like downloading gigabytes of uh, of an artist's entire discography person. And I was part of like membership-only music blogs that I couldn't even talk about in public without being like kicked out of. Uh, but then all that went away you uh, over the course of like three years. <laughs> and then, you know, if it comes back, you know, it comes back and, and I'll, I'll start hoarding digital music again. Who knows? I want to return to the, the Rogan thing for one last point. Uh, you know, yesterday, Casey Newton published an, uh, uh, a uh, issue of his newsletter platformer entitled Spotify Hits a Stalemate. Full disclosure, uh, I believe you run a Discord with uh, Casey. Is that right? Is that a side channel, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we, we have a Discord together, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... So the title, uh, headline of the uh, article was Spotify It's a Stalemate. And uh, I just want to read a portion of it. He says, um, in media, there have always been gatekeepers to serve as a check on the more irresponsible impulses of their talent. This sort of scrutiny has long been the province of the publisher, the editor, the executive producer, and the station manager. There are plenty of drawbacks to this sort of gatekeeping, but there are benefits too, starting with interventions in the name of public health. That's why I hope the discussions between Spotify and Rogan continue, particularly when he hosts guests who lean into conspiracy theories. Um, In such a world, Spotify can keep its top draw. 
Rogan can publish 99% or so of the conversations he wants to, and the world will be spared a man with 11 million listeners being paid $100 million to say that 21-year-old men should probably not get vaccinated, end quote. So Casey kind of foresees a, a sort of detente emerging where maybe Joe Rogan is less anarchic, as you said, Ryan. Um, maybe Spotify clarifies its rules a little bit more and everyone just goes on and lives quasi-happily ever after. Is that how you see this all playing out, Ryan? To a degree. Um, I think the best comparison to make between Joe Rogan and Spotify and what's going on there is PewDiePie from a couple years ago. So mm-hmm. in 2017, the Wall Street Journal went hardcore after PewDiePie for flirting with far-right memes. And, and you know, there were some instances where he was he was doing some things that looked pretty anti-Semitic, if if not were outright hateful. Uh, and what ended up happening was it galvanized PewDiePie's base. It um, immediately made him stop doing that, which was great. But it also it, it radicalized his audience to further hate the mainstream media. But then it also, I think, in many ways, kind of signified. A, a long drawn out petering out period for PewDiePie where now he's he, he's not really streaming nearly as much as he used to. Um, and he, he kind of went off into his own content hole and, and, you know, he's still massively po- popular. He has 111 million subscribers and he does update, you know, semi daily, but it's not really the same as where it was in 2017 and by all accounts probably never will be. And sort of I the sort intensity, of the updates, the, the popularity probably peaked back then is kind of your, your perception, right? I, I sort of think so. I think that there's like a moment where all influencers are about to break into like the, the, the mainstream culture. And when they collide, some of them make it and some of them cross over, but the majority of them end up actually in situations like PewDiePie or Joe Rogan, which is where the stuff that they were doing that gained them the audience online is finally viewed by all of society at once. And for the most part, to go consistently viral like Joe Rogan or PewDiePie means you probably aren't uh, you know, doing the due diligence editorially to put it very academically. You're probably saying some outrageous things. Basically. You're probably being like right. an outrageous racist. No, yeah. Like, like you really ca- – like, because of the way the internet functions and particularly the way platforms like, you know, YouTube function, like, you really can't be popular in those spaces without being, like, kind of racist. <laughs> like, plain and simple. Like, Joe Rogan's popularity is, yeah, it's a podcast, but, like, Joe Rogan – was a YouTuber. Like Joe Rogan's YouTube channel was largely how most people consumed his content. And, you know, society got a look at it this week and they were like, wow, why is that guy saying the N-word all the time? Like, why is there a three-minute montage of this white guy saying the N-word? That's unacceptable. And so I sort of think, yeah, Casey's kind of right. There'll be a detente. But I also think that this is like the beginning of a period where Joe Rogan probably... I don't see Joe Rogan becoming more um what's the word popular influential mainstream yeah i don't see i i don't see him breaking out further 
I think mm-hmm. I think this is probably as high as he goes. Yeah. And this is kind of the moment when like more people are hearing about Joe Rogan and some of the upsetting things that he said and maybe like forming an opinion that's negative about him, right? Like theoretically this could be like that inflection point for many people. We should point out that he estimates he reportedly gets around 11 million downloads per episode so i don't know how you're defining mainstream you know what i mean but like he does have a huge audience already um but i I also take your point that uh when it comes to like mainstream media coverage for instance a lot of it has been pretty negative uh in the last couple weeks so yeah uh, I, i think like you know he's just like i think the best the best summation of this whole thing is how the rock treated it so like the actor the rock first came out and he's like good for joe rogan you know taking accountability but i stand by him you know i stand with joe and then everyone was like hey the rock like how do you feel about this three minute montage of joe rogan saying the n-word and the rock was like i did not know about that i am (laughs) glad that i have been educated i you know i'm learning you know i did not know the whole narrative and it's like well that's sort of the, that's sort of the end there. I mean, right. I, I just don't see Joe Rogan coming back from that uh, in mainstream society. Right, right. He he will still be popular. He'll still be hugely successful. But you think like in terms of his influence, you feel like it's peaked. Uh, I, yeah. I hope you're right, Ryan, and that we're not talking about President Joe Rogan in eight years from now. But we'll see. <sighs> people uh, we'll see. people think he's so much more, like I don't know. People, <laughs> I, maybe I'm biased because I'm from Massachusetts and. Joe Rogan kind of grew up in that area and every single man I know in my life is Joe Rogan <laughs> because he is like the archetypal guy from Boston. But like, I just, I don't see his show as political as I think a lot of people are using it to be like, he's just mm-hmm. like a moron and I don't see him running for president. He wants to smoke DMT and shoot deer. Like he's, he's the guy that like, you know, went camping with Anthony Bourdain to talk about land protection like five years ago. Like nobody remembers that like he's been around forever. And like a large chunk of his show is just him interviewing dudes who fight on UFC. Uh, all well taken. I was, to be <laughs> fair, I was using hyperbole there, Ryan. But yes, no, no, I no, I know, good. I know. I just, it's just like this whole thing is like, yeah. it's actually, it's almost identical to PewDiePie where it's like the guy's a moron and he's obviously flirting with hateful stuff to get attention on the internet. But like, he shouldn't have been given a hundred million dollars and he shouldn't have been the face of Spotify. Like none of this needed to happen. He's just all very idiotic. I a hundred percent agree with all that stuff that you just said. So, uh, (laughs) well, at the end of the day, uh, I hope that this conversation has illuminated a little bit about what's happening in the world of the internet and podcasting. And I'm extremely grateful to have had Ryan Broderick to join me for it. Ryan Broderick is a freelance tech writer and the author of the garbage day newsletter. It is one of the newsletters, uh, one of the few newsletters that I read every single day. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great. Had a great time. You can find more episodes of this podcast at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Email us at culturallyrelevantshow at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share about it or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, won't you? Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time for another episode of Culturally Relevant.